Welcome back to the After Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Francisco Delator. Co-host today, new face in the building. We got Joe English, and we're joined with Tom Garrison from Funky Turtle Brewing Co. How you doing, man? Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Thanks. Absolutely. And we just uh, cracked open a bottle of what? Dark, dark, dark. Yep. Okay. Yep, it's a Mellow Mel, uh, 12.8%, uh, fermented with wildflower honey, and then conditioned on blackberries, blueberries, plum, vanilla beans, cocoa nibs, and cinnamon. Okay, that's a lot of moving parts there. Like, how do you yeah. how do you uh, bring that all in? How do you rein it into create a flavor like this? Um, testing a okay. lot of testing. Um, the first batches were fermented with all of the ingredients besides the spices, um, and that kind of just brings out a, a real rich tanniny uh, characteristic. And so we wanted to try to move away from that and have a little bit smoother, more bold profile onto this uh, this product. And so that's basically just stepping the processes out um, and fermenting a base and then conditioning on the fruit and then conditioning on the spices and stuff. So. Sweet. Very cool. And what uh, classification is this? Is this a wine, a spirit? Yep, it's a wine. Yep. So uh, anything that's made with fruit um, or honey um, is classified federally and statewide by um, with, a, with, a, with a wine permit. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And uh, how long have you been in Toledo? I've been in Toledo for about two and a half years. Yep, and so uh, same with my uh, business partner. Um, yeah, he's been here for about three years. And your business partner is Drake? Yep, Drake Pregnall. Yep, he's from uh, upstate New York. We met each other down in Kentucky. We're both rock climbers. Um, and so uh, we were just uh, living that good uh, climbing bum lifestyle. Um, he has a background in brewing. And so I've always, uh, ever since our friendship started about eight years ago, seven years ago, uh, was trying to get him to open up a brewery. <laughs> and so he finally uh, called me and said, let's, let's open up a brewery. And I was like, where at? Toledo, Ohio. And I was like, okay. <laughs> Never been here before. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I just moved up here and, and got the ball started. That's sweet. Hell That's yeah. Awesome. Were you guys at Red Rock? Oh uh, yeah, yep, the Red River Gorge. Red River, yep, sorry. Yep, yep, the Red River Gorge uh, in Kentucky. Yep, we spent a lot of time there. Uh, he got his master's at uh, Moorhead State University, so it's like right there. Yeah. Yep. Very cool, yeah. Um, so you're not from around here then, neither is Drake? Uh, no, no, so I actually grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, or like right at a little tiny town outside of Kalamazoo. Um, yeah, and then I've been traveling around. I've lived in a bunch of different states from Tennessee, Kentucky, Asheville, North Carolina is where I came from. Um, cool. To up here, so yep. Drake's from Poughkeepsie, New York. We also have a, another business partner. He's our director of uh, marketing and sales. His name's Troy. Troy's from the Canton area, so he's he's an Ohio boy. He's our only uh, okay. Ohio uh, actual. You know, had more roots here than me and Drake. So. Yeah, I'm I'm close to Canton, Michigan. So I hmm. thought for a second that's what you were referring to. Oh, okay. No, yeah, other Canton. Yeah. yeah. No, that's cool. And I mean, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but Toledo is just a really good place for a lot of startups and often overlooked because a lot of things here are really cheap um, yeah. overhead. And then real estate, too, it's the third cheapest place to live in a metropolitan area. Oh, Midwest. really? Yeah. Yep. yeah, yeah, I believe that. You know, I always say like the Midwest is 10 years behind everyone else. <laughs> and so, like, I totally get that. And I feel like our, like, uh, a lot of the bigger cities um, that have a big craft beer scene, um, they really have a huge and very nice community just wrapped around the craft industry um, where Toledo in particular is on its way and you can see like a really bright future on it. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we were really excited to try to get our foot in the door. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
I mean, you keep cranking out products like this, I mean, it's not just going to be Toledo. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're out to Cleveland and down as far as Lima, Finley area, too. So Cool, yeah. How do those partnerships work? Um, so we are just a wholesaler. And okay. so, like, obviously, we're sitting in uh, in the production facility right now. And so we don't have people come in to actually have products or buy products from us. Um, and so that's Troy's job is to create those relationships and just get the, again, get the, our foot in the door with other businesses, other breweries that enjoy the style products that we make. Because we do make a little bit more interesting products than you would normally see. You know, we don't crank out a bunch of IPAs or stouts and stuff like that. Yeah. So we basically just deal with barrel-aged beer and our wines. So Cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking online. You guys have a pretty like diverse uh, portfolio going there. So you guys got your meads, you got your beers, and you guys even got like some merch. Um, yeah, we got merch. Yep, and ciders too. And yeah. we just started making and uh, seltzers. I believe. Seltzers. Yeah. yeah. So we put our own little twist on it. Um, it's a mixed culture seltzer, and so it has uh, wild yeast and wild bacteria um, that convert sugars, simple sugars in this case, uh, into lactic acid, mm. and so it gives a nice tart, sour. Uh, pH to it, the acidity really makes what our seltzers, you know, lack and all the other ones, so it's nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Sounds like they're a little bit more complex than a... Yeah, yeah, they're, it's de- like, yeah <laughs> definitely not, like, again, not a typical brewery that's just pumping out, uh, you know, a new product every two weeks. Our products, at a minimum, sit in our f- facility for about 30 to 45 days before it even starts to get into, like, that customer facing, into a keg, mm-hmm. bottle keg, you know, something like that, so. What, how long would you say is that uh, the iteration process when you first start R&D up until you can have a product that's client-facing? Six months, maybe. Okay. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah that's six really months, good, maybe. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these recipes are coming from just tests that I do at home or what I did as a home brewer before I got into actually brewing professionally. Okay. Um, and then just honing in on the recipe and scaling up to, you know, home brewing, I can go and buy local honey and get a taste and like a... Uh, flavor profile that I really would be trying to find, but then I'm trying to source that same honey at 700 pounds. Gotta go to the beekeeper. It's a little harder. Yeah. 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 I wish we could, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah. We would wipe out a local beekeeper in just, you know, a couple of weeks. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's cool. And you guys got a pretty intense operation you guys got going here. Um, I mean, like, where do you guys begin getting, like, these industrial bins and stuff like that? Those are easy to find. The IBC really? totes, yeah, oh, okay. just trying to find someone that, uh, you know, buys food-grade ones. Um, a lot of people that will buy them, they'll buy them secondhand that have chemicals, coolant, or something in it, you know, um, lubrication products. And so just trying to find them that are food-grade that's never been used before. Um, or we get a lot of them from distilleries. Um, just because they had spirit in them right before we got them. Um, they're really easy to clean and they're food safe. Um, so those are really easy. Um, with the limited space that we had in there, it was hard trying to find uh, like the stainless steel equipment mm-hmm. that will actually be able to fit through <clears throat> our doors and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that a garage door on the other side there? Yeah, yep, it's okay. a tiny little garage that door that sense. goes off to the parking lot back there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of distilleries, um, we were uh, pretty close with you know, uh, Six Fist Distilling yeah. in Perrysburg. And I saw yeah, they yeah. followed you on Instagram. Okay. So I was like, how did that relationship form? Oh, uh, man, I, I, met, I met the owner of Six Fist at a uh, festival down in Grand Rapids, Ohio. Yeah. A, a buddy of ours puts on this little music festival. Um, yeah, and I tried his uh, caramel vodka, mm-hmm. and I just was hooked. Like, yeah. I'm not the biggest spirit fan. 
I do have a good taste for like bourbon and whiskey, but other than that, vodkas aren't really my my jam. And yeah, and so I guess that's how it kind of started. And he loves our products, he loves our meads, and so he just always kept us the. Uh, Untapped, so. There's there's something special that they have brewing down there. I, I don't know what it is. Vodka is not something that typically goes down super smooth, and I'm not a huge fan of it. But something about their vodka just goes down right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't. I'm not exactly sure what what he's up to, but it is good. Whatever it is, he's doing. This might be confidential, stuff. but uh, we were there about six months ago, and they were currently well at the time they were working on vanilla. Is their next flavor fantastic? So yeah. um, we were we had the pleasure of sampling their base vodka and then um, some of their absinthe. Right, that is out of this world. Right, right. Yeah. I've heard the exact same thing. I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard it very good. That shit is out of this world. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever yeah, you I try did. it? Yeah. I did try it as well. Yeah. No, they're great guys. They're awesome. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the relationship that you guys had because Joe English, he's the co-host today, and uh, you know it's because of Joe that we have Tom on the show. So. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, so uh, I've taken photographs before for After Hours, yep. but I also shoot for a band in Toledo, Chloe and the Steel Strings, and I went to their Halloween party and ended up meeting Tom. Um, we had a lot of great conversation. Uh, Tom is, was a wealth of wisdom. Uh, it really helped, helped me get my head straight on some things. Um, and once I found out that he was brewing in Toledo, I knew that I had to get him on after hours. Yep. Yeah. We come from, uh, the same kind of background too, with, uh, software. Yep. And so we connected on that immediately. I'm surprised we had such great conversations after I drank 10 hams. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm a big hams and yingling fan. Shout out. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Everyone was like, hey, you're, you're on the ball. I was like, I was drunk. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was a fantastic time. And yeah, I was glad, glad to meet you too. So I know. I was good. It was, it was really good to meet somebody in the software space. Uh, I worked with uh, Gwynhouse Software uh, as the lead designer there. And we just had some really great conversations about software in general. And I, I was learning, I've been learning JavaScript, CSS, and HTML. And Tom, your background's in, in development. So. It's good to get a perspective from a developer that's kind of been through it because we are still on the, the up and up to say. Definitely. Yeah. That's another thing too. I mean, Toledo, it's merging with all of these new fields and um, manufacturing, housing. You see a lot of uh, companies popping up. And then obviously the software space is, like Tom said, uh, like 10 years behind the Midwest, especially in Toledo. So, I mean, we're fortunate to have this opportunity where we can come up into a space that has a gap in the market, especially like for locals that need, you know, websites, applications, entrepreneurs in the space. So, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the local community in Toledo, that's been one of my favorite things about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, I come from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and the local community there is a little more spread out because you just have so many people. But it feels like every time I go somewhere, I'm meeting somebody that knows somebody I know every single time. Yeah. And the local community here, it's been great to support as Windhouse and also um, through photography, seeing so many different people in you know, the creative fields in general, uh, just starting to expand and seeing it take off. Yeah. It's been really awesome and seeing, you know, kind of grassroots kind of taking over and it's awesome. What is your uh, background in software? Uh, doing a lot of just development with JavaScript, um, honestly. <laughs> this is what it has been for like the last four or five years is just JavaScript based, um, but a lot of front end development um yeah and then doing a lot of stuff with like react native and just building uh, native applications and mm. swift and stuff like that so, very cool yep and did that for uh 
multiple of these. I'm still tutoring in uh, computer science as well. Um, oh, cool. Some days of the week, probably two or three times. So nice. trying to help out. Yeah. So were you always working remote? No, I, I I had contracts that I'd have to go in. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, but kind of a little bit all over the board too. Kind of wherever was needed. Um, yeah, kind of filled in those gaps. So. so I have a mechanical engineering degree, but <laughs> I am definitely not a mechanical engineer right now. How has anything that you've learned from development transferred over into brewing? Man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I would say a lot, honestly. Um, but the biggest thing is. You know, I don't know if I just gathered this just from working in uh, in the software industry. It was just taking ownership in everything you do. Uh, you know, from the beginning stages of you know, say a uh, you know a, a mobile app to uh, finish like a starting stage of of a, of a mead. Um, just every single process that you do, you have to take ownership, even if you're not doing it, and someone else in your company is doing it. Um, if, if there's a mess up or if something gets faulty, you know, falls through the cracks, you know, you just take that ownership immediately that it's your problem and you're going to fix it, you know. Um, that's the biggest thing I've ever learned in, in anything I've ever done uh, in the business world, for sure, is just, again, taking ownership in everything you do. So. Well said. I mean, that's, I mean, it's a thing, like, if you're willing to take responsibility, you're also gaining more trust for people you're, you're better around you. And they also rely on you more, and there you go, make yourself more valuable, yep. make yourself uh, inexpensive to any company. Exactly. Yeah, that's really what it is. Yeah, and you know, at the end of the day, if you want something done right, do it yourself, <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's hard to teach passion to people. You can train anyone to to essentially do something, right? Yeah. But you can't teach passion. If someone sees, uh, you know, that passion of, you know, say an owner taking responsibility of. Uh, you know, an entry level position, um, that person is going to think next time, like, okay, what can I do extra so my, you know, my leadership um, doesn't have to come in and uh, fix my mess up or mm -hmm. tell me what to do or something like that, you know. Um, yeah, just full circle. I see that in my life as well, you know, outside of the business world. So. Yeah, for sure. Being yeah. in, well, what is normally like a very, um, relationship heavy and customer facing you know when you think of the bar industry and food industry like, okay yeah you're interacting with people here and there but as a wholesaler do you still get that those points of contact and that that feedback from yeah, your customers yeah definitely um especially in our community now a lot of people reach out to us um, oh, that's cool. they'll yeah. go to a bar and have our product and um yeah they'll get a hold of us seeing how how they can get more what what's new and stuff like that um and so there's definitely a lot of the customer facing side of it as well i'm a little out of that um just from my position at the company um but troy does a really great job um you know again connecting with those people and connecting making those relationships and keeping those relationships good and, and in contact so. cool what would you say is the greatest strength of each team member being drake yourself and troy yeah um Troy is definitely the peep, like the, the the face of okay. um, to, or like the face to the consumer to 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 the uh, person that's actually going to be buying the product, um, and I would say that's his the biggest strength of his is just being able to go into any room and make friends. You know, um, for Drake, Drake, there's a lot of great things about Drake Pregnall, uh, but inside the business, uh, his attention to detail. Uh, Again, he takes uh, great ownership on everything he does. 
And so if he sees a problem before, you know, asking who did it, he fixes it. Uh, and then, and then tries to, um, you know, I don't know, add something to, you know, the standard operating procedure or whatever it is. So his attention to detail, um, is, yeah, is the, something that I look up to, um, for myself, probably just my, like my OCD, you know, like once I get into something, I don't stop. And so, um, you know, coming from computer science and then jumping into, uh, fermentation science is just like, I can't stop learning about it. And I think that reflects into our products too, uh, with just, again, the overall quality and depth of our product line. Mm. Um, yeah, I just think us together is like an unstoppable team. So it's, it's, a, it's really nice feeling. Sounds like you really got a lot of the bases covered. And I mean, I can speak, I know this is a small sample, but I can definitely speak to seeing your OCD about it and really diving into it. And I can also, taste the passion in this, if that makes sense. There's yep. a lot of depth yep. to this, to this honey wine, this dark, dark, dark. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yes, it's better than the Franzia I usually drink, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's just a joke. But no, this is really, really good. High quality drink. And Drake is from a brewing background, correct? Yep, yep, he's worked for uh, a few different breweries that people would know of, uh, like Avery Brewing Company out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, yep. And Millhouse Brewing Company out of Poughkeepsie, New York. Um, yeah, so he's he's got a beer brewing background. Cool. Yeah, and I'm glad that you actually mentioned the location there because I was gonna ask like, how does that um, come across in Toledo? Because I know obviously out in Colorado, the scene is absolutely massive for IPAs and brewing. Mm-hmm. And do you see that um, Toledo will be that one day? Yeah, I already think we see it, see it a little bit in in our industry here in Toledo, um, with like Ernest Brew Works, um, they are kind of like the staple of a region, like an up and coming regional brewery in another bigger city that has a lot of craft beer. Um, and I think a lot of people are going to be falling behind. I think that there's like three or four breweries that are in planning to open up, uh, next year here in Toledo. Sweet. And so the more breweries and the more meteries that we can get wineries, um, you know, the more people that are going to be driving, to come to Toledo and flying to Toledo to try mm-hmm. um, to try the craft, so I do see it 100. Yeah. percent Cool. What would you say is your favorite beer? Ooh. Um. Give me like your favorite beer of all time, and yeah. then give me one that you guys brew here. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I think all of, like the beer snobs and everyone in the industry kind of <laughs> like make fun of me because I'm not saying like a lambic or you know this 1982 Frambois or something. You know, I was like, I don't. Hams, okay. Lager beer. I, I, I'm a big fan of lagers. Uh, that tradition and that uh, just the the scale of those big breweries that can make a consistent product and from Michigan to South America blows my mind. Mm. Um, and so yeah, Hams, Yingling, a lot of those. Uh, Wolverine Brewing Company out of Ann Arbor, Michigan makes really really good lagers as well. Mm. I'm a big fan of them. Okay. Um, yeah. So any any good crafted lager, um, Pilsner, anything like that. Um, bullshit. For the products that we make here, um, I'd probably have to say smooth and groovy. So we just did a, the first batch of that, and it's kind of in the same uh, lineup as dark, dark, dark. So the base is still blueberries and blackberries, mm-hmm. um, but instead of using plum, um, it's with apricot. Mm. And it's super bright and just, it's like an explosion of fruit flavor when it, it's like almost like a fruit roll up or something um 
in your mouth, like right right when you take the first sip, and then when you blow out, you kind of get that more heavy booze, uh, complex flavor uh, that goes along with like a 15, 16 percent. Mm. So, yeah, smooth and groovy. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big Yingling guy. <laughs> I just I just tried their Oktoberfest, the Yingling Oktoberfest, and that was one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, I, again, man, they're, they're, I'm going to get a lot of slack. Go ahead. Um, please do reach out to me directly and tell me how much you don't like me. Um, very interested to see. Uh, but yeah, Yingling, fantastic brewery. Um, you know, and the roots of that brewery too is just uh, is a beautiful thing. There's cellars mm-hmm. underground, and just yeah, it's just so, so sweet. Man. Have you been to their facility? In I Boston? have not. Okay. I have not. But uh, Drake has, and he's told me all the great stories about it. So, yeah. where's it at? It's in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. I haven't made my way up there, but I feel like I need to at this yeah. point. Oh, definitely. Yeah, you, yeah. Well, we should just make a road trip out of it. I mean, uh, I, right? what are you doing right after this? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm from Michigan, and I can't really recall Yingling being like a pretty, you know, staple, you know, uh, I don't think Yingling sold to Michigan. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't believe it is, because I can't really remember it being on tap anywhere. Yeah, right. So. But like Stroh's and uh, Old Milwaukee, you see that in Michigan mm-hmm. all the time. Very similar. Um, yeah. Good got some Notre Dame on top. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've seen it before, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, the quality of uh, of those products. A lot of people l- like to hate on those big conglomerate uh, breweries, yeah. and I get it too. Um, but again, consistency and you know, actually finding out the, the style and how hard it is to brew those beers, uh, they probably wouldn't give them as much slack. So. So how, how hard? Yeah, how, how hard? hard? <laughs> How hard is it to find that consistency that, you, that you're talking about, like a batch to batch? It's very hard. Yeah, uh, especially with our equipment. Because, um, again, so we're a self-funded brewery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so starting off small, we were brewing 55-gallon batches, right? And so the consistency there was pretty easy um, because we'd buy bulk ingredients and all the ingredients taste, taste about the same, right? Um, where now that we've scaled up to brew um, 275-gallon batches at a time, um, just really making sure that the lots on the honey and our fruit uh, that's coming in from different providers um, are all tasting very similar, uh, so then we can uh, hone in on that consistency on each product and each batch. Mm. So. I'm glad you touched on that, Joe. That's what I was going to say. That's very good. Just, just overwhelmed, really. I mean quality products and I'm usually not like a wine drinker mm-hmm. usually stick to like my whiskeys not really a big fan of like IPAs or anything like that prefer a lager but so this is really good so yeah. I just don't know I don't really know what it is about it that yeah. I like the most mm-hmm. but it just it doesn't give me like I'm, a, I'm in church you know getting a glass of wine yeah 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 it, I mean? it resembles like a red for sure yeah exactly um, but I can't put my finger on what is the differentiating factor yeah it's it's an interesting product that not a lot of people know about either, uh, or like what a, what a mead is and what it can be. Um, yeah, this one's a little, you know, it's not overdone, but there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I think it's kind of hits that perfect, uh, I don't know, perfect uh, rhythm where you're not overdoing it. It's not just a very simple product. So there's yeah. a lot going on. I've, ta- I've tasted a bunch of meads, and they've definitely interested me in the past because I love fruit in general, just like the natural sugars, I think, make a big yeah. difference. But I have definitely tasted an overly complex, like where there's too much flavor and there's not enough balance there. And 
it's kind of steered me away from me for a little bit. Uh, but this right here kind of really does strike that level of complexity that still holds that balance where you have a lot of working parts in it, but they all kind of mesh together really well to end up in a really solid product. Yeah. Yeah. You touched on consistency, Joe, in terms of flavor profile, but what is the consistency of like the alcohol distribution? So is there like at the bottom of the tank, is there heavier portions of alcohol or? Um, you know, not in the process that we do. Okay. Um, so we know what our product's going to end up at before we even put sugar into solution to okay. let yeast uh, go after it. Um, and so we don't see any inconsistencies in the alcohol that's being produced. Mm -hmm. um, we're really uh, fine-tuned with the products that we're, we've been using, um, if that say yeast or the honey source. And so we know basically what is gonna happen every single fermentation. And uh, like with this product that we're adding fruit after the primary fermentation. Okay. And so um, just again, yeah, just knowing your your ingredients makes the, the, the product. And so we knew exactly how much alcohol was going to be diluted once we added the 200 pounds of blackberries. Uh, gotcha. So pretty, pretty consistent. So I would not be leaving my door unlocked. <laughs> Just real like walk in, so no, I was saying like, dude, like I would not leave the door unlocked. Just real like walk in. Oh, I'm not scared at all. <laughs> I mean, what are they gonna do? I'm, you know, drink all your product. <laughs> That's yeah. probably the worst case. Good luck. <laughs> they can try, right? Yeah. They can try. I mean, again, I'll probably just make them laugh, and then they'll end up buying something and leave. <laughs> What's up, dude? You're not gonna steal from me. We're gonna be friends. Come here. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty elite though. You got the taps on the wall on the yep. other side of the cold room there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the cold that cold room uh, houses all of our bright tanks uh -huh. um, that uh, carbonate our beverages. And yeah, so we just got a couple of taps that you can you can pull from. That's yeah. awesome. That's so, you, so you talked about fermentation as a science. And me personally, thinking about brewing, I don't first initially, initially think it's a science. How much planning process and even procedure, even like mathematics, goes into that process of determining the entire batch and the, the um, proportions that you want. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, um, yeah. It just kind of depends on where your sugar source is coming from. And so, if, you know, on the beer world, it's coming from grains. Um, and so, knowing how much you know pounds of grain per per gallons of water um, you need in the mash. Um, to convert those starches into sugars, um, you know, as a science in it in itself. Luckily, um, with just the boom of our industry, there's software um, behind that, and so uh, I use a program essentially to give me a rough estimate of what um, or like how much sugar is actually going to be uh, able to be fermented, uh, and then from there. Uh, you know, just the science behind a healthy fermentation, um, especially with the meads, um, they're simple sugars. And so uh, certain types of yeasts can kind of almost get stressed out um, because they're just so happy. They're going into sugar that can all be consumed. Mm -hmm. um, and if you don't have a high enough, say, cell, cell count or pitch rate of a yeast, uh, you know, it's just gonna affect the overall product at the end. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't really get those 
problems out of the product. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of science that goes goes into it and also into the type of glassware that you're using that's being stored, with the product being stored in, being corked or capped, how it's being stored, what temperature it's getting stored at, and seeing what uh, uh, how that product actually develops characteristics and maybe drops flavors, stuff like that. So it's a uh, it's science wrapped around the whole entire process of, uh, of fermentation. For sure. All right, this is kind of an off the wall question here, but uh, so the the process that you have and the sugars that are defined within each product. Um, obviously, the myth is the sweeter the drink, sweeter the wine, the worse the hangover. Is that actually true? I think everyone's a little different. Okay. Everybody's a little different. Um, and so that kind of depends on, uh, you know, how you're metabolizing it. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, if I ate a bunch of like sour patch gummies or something, um, like a whole, whole lot, like, like a family a, size bag, yeah, like a huge bag yeah. of like what it would be, <laughs> you know, relative <laughs> to drinking, say like two bottles of really sweet wine, I bet you I'm not going to feel good in the morning. Like regardless, and that might not be my head from you know just a you know a small amount of alcohol poisoning. Um, I'm just not gonna feel good, and so I think like, but you know Joe here might be able to eat that bag of candy and wake up in the morning and be like, "Where's my <laughs> second bag of candy?" Um, and so everyone's a little bit different. Um, I do not believe that, and I do not think there's science to back that up. Mm. Everyone's a little different. Okay. So I'd love to see a controlled uh, study on that for sure. Yeah. All right, that's a hot take. Um, so, I mean, going off of, off of that, how much of the science behind it and portioning, you said you used the software to do that, does that contribute to taste? Like, is, can you define taste with science or is it more of a person-to-person -person thing with the palate? Yeah, I think you can define flavor uh, components um, with science for sure, or science backing. You can see that in like a artificial flavorings and stuff like that. Um, the software that we use in particular, not really. Um, it's kind of, again, just uh, R&D. Mm -hmm. So if, what, what does this blackberry from Washington taste like um, if you're adding it when the product's already been fermented? Or what does it taste like if you already have fermented it? Uh, or you fermented the blueberries in it, excuse me. Um, but the software doesn't tell you that. And so it's kind of, you, you have to go in and just examine and just try the products um, on a smaller scale before you try to pass it up, I think. I don't know if that answered the question. Well. I think so. Okay. I'd say so, yeah. I mean, you said that, at first I was thinking like, you're reading like the label off of like a chip thing, like, like a chip bag or something, like a Pringles can. You're like, I can obviously see all the ingredients in here and I can see like the relative proportion based on the order in which they're in. But I really don't think that defines a flavor or like mm -hmm. a taste. I mean, no, it definitely uh, defines the color, you know, yeah, the yellow yeah. dye. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but again, you know, everyone's a little different. Uh, what I taste could be a little bit different than what you taste, um, and your mind can really trick you. Mm. And so if, uh, if you see the label and it says, like, hints of blackberry, you're already kind of uh, messed up with that product because you're already going to be like, oh. Black, blackberries, blueberries, what am I going to get? Yeah, know? where's that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so like I could yeah. say like this product had no plum in it um, and it was, I don't know, applesauce. And you'd be like, how do I get that applesauce, I think? You know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this actually brings me to a really good question here that since I have a, a former developer, or are you still developing? 
No. Okay. Definitely not. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have a software developer, or a one time was software developer, and obviously a very creative guy here, Joe English, definitely lead designer. Um, You're talking about you know like a little bit of placebo effect that you get from a brand or what you see on a label. How important is that to marketing a product? Do you think? Do you see like all natural citrus, and then the first thing that when you smell it, it's like oh, I can smell the oranges. I can smell the orange rind. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, I think that goes into a lot of it. If you tell somebody what a product is, they're going to look for that in the product itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes that can work to your advantage and disadvantage. Okay. If you're telling somebody that this is a great, fantastic product that's going to work every single time and then they use it and they don't, you okay. really got to back up what you're saying to an extent. I do think that there's a little bit more subjectiveness maybe with taste because it does come down from person to person. I guess it depends on what product you end up putting out. Mm-hmm. But if I send a picture to somebody and I say, this is my favorite because X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. they're more likely going to be like, yeah, I love how the highlights in this photo are, are really well balanced or something like that. And so you're saying they, they mirror what your opinion was originally? Yeah. Well, they're, they're going to trust the expert. High, they're they're going to be able to highlight it. Exactly. Right? Yeah. They're going to they're know what to look for, and they're going to trust the person that's telling them about it if they see that person as the expert. So mm-hmm. I'm sure the same goes for a brewery. And I I can speak to that personally. If I'm drinking a beer that I don't really know about and it's telling me what it's supposed to taste like, I'm going to be like, yeah, you're right, right. <laughs> I think specifically yeah. uh, to mention another brewery in Toledo, Patron Saints. Yeah. yeah. Um, they have a every Valentine's Day, they do the St. Valentine, and it's a cherry chocolate stout. It's one of my favorite beers of all time. But I really didn't taste the chocolate at all until they told me it was a chocolate stout. And then I was like, yeah, you're right. That's definitely what that is. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys down there are great. Another shout out to a local Toledo company, Patron Saints off Bancroft. They do a bunch of cool seasonal beers. You know, we just actually were, was down there to brew a 10% seltzer called St. Karen. Mm. Um, it's a orange cream sickle uh, mm. uh, seltzer, really good 10% alcohol or nine to 10%. Uh, depending on the batch. And then uh, we did St. Kateri again this year. It was a, mm. a big uh, imperial brown. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that one's going to be uh, hitting the, the the showroom once the first snowfall. And so okay. it's going to be around 16% alcohol, I do believe, this year. So I'm very excited. Yeah. guys rock down there. Oh, I, I love... I'm glad to hear that. And that actually answers... Kind of answers my next question was... How often do you get a chance to work with other breweries? And I guess Patron Saints, one of the ones you guys already work with. I'm glad to hear that there's a lot of collaboration between the breweries. And the yeah, area. yeah, yeah. There's only a few breweries in town that we haven't uh, done something with. Um, we just did a collaboration um, up in Livonia, Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, with a brewery called Supernatural Brewing Company. Um, yeah, yeah, we love doing it. We love trying to kind of press the envelope on what a beer can be um, mm-hmm. with those collaborations. Um, I just think it kind of gives the name, like both names, a little like a bigger shout and a wider range. If you know we're brewing an eighteen percent imperial stout, um, or so, something like that, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, another couple of breweries that we've done fun stuff with um, in our area is uh, Quenched and Tempered Brewing Company. Uh, they're going to be opening up downtown here next year. Um, gr- great guys. Uh, really really helpful too they're all uh, tradesmen and so uh, we made uh, a uh, Hefeweizen beer um, with with tea okay uh, it was a peach tea blend okay. very good super tasty um, but they are just 
the coolest guys too. They yeah. help us out with anything we need as well, with welding to, to you know, some of these kegs right over here are theirs, um, you know, because we were making an order, and so we just thought we'd put some more on for them too, because they're going to be using it. That's um, awesome. Yeah, I'm really nice people. I'm actually currently designing their website. So, oh, great. Yeah, I've been I've been in touch with David Sankovich yep. specifically. Yep. They're awesome over there. I'm really excited to continue working with them. I'm really excited to see what they can do. Um, and if you're looking to try them out, you can order online on their yep. website right now. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. And yeah, you can go right up uh, to, I think, the new brewery that's going to be downtown to pick it up. So yeah. it's really easy. They make great products, too. Yeah, their tap room should be opening by the start of next year, yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, hardworking guys, man. It's, it's impressive, and it's inspiring to see people like that. Same thing with uh, Upside Brewing Company in Sylvania. Mm. Um, it's a, a family team. Um, J and G Pizza, uh, right there. The, that's already been a staple uh, for Sylvania, but now with them just cranking out great brews every single batch. Mm. Uh, yeah, Nick Dallas, the owner, um, again, just phenomenal person. Uh, and they're and they just take the craft to a whole different level with mm. how much love and passion goes into it. It's again very inspiring to see other people in our community doing the exact same thing. How's that collaboration work between breweries? Is it is it like, well, we have this this style of beer and we're really good in this space and this is what we really understand and you really know this, so let's bring this together. Or is it more like, we've had this idea for beer, but you guys know how to do this best. Let's work together to find a way to mesh the two styles or? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, something along those lines. Kind of depends on how the collaboration starts too. Most of the time, it's uh, done between a few drinks, mm. and so there'll be just a bunch of just stuff being said, you know. So it's yeah. like we should put coconut and lime in it, and then, <laughs> and then when you go to the brew day, it's like no one bought that, and now we have caramel. But okay, great, you know. It's like, so it kind of just depends on what one um, and how you kind of bring that conversation, uh, you know, to light. But it's, it is definitely something of bringing the two together, you know, because again, we are like a sour farmhouse brewery um, mm. and then a winery um, with a very specific uh, uh, style, you know, and uh, and so a lot of the other breweries, we just try to highlight what they're really good at with just a little bit of us. And a lot of the time it has to do with honey, um, mm. just because we always have a lot of honey on, on uh, just in, in stock. And so we try to blend different varieties of honey with a brewery to try to get something that's new or unique out of it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, speaking from the creative space, there's a lot of creatives and I'll include myself in that, that think they really need to define their style to, to be excellent. And they see other people with this like really defined style that, you know, is part of them. How much of that at the beginning for you guys did you feel like you needed to do? Like you needed to define your brewing style or did it just come naturally? Because what I have found personally is with my design style is it's really not about finding a style or anything like that. It's more just making things that you really like and eventually your style is going to come out of whatever you really like to do, whatever you end up being passionate about. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, for the products in particular, I feel like a lot of our... Our, our style and what, what we stick to um, all wraps around the fresh fruit that we use. I mean, so just trying to hone in on exactly what 
what the style is of our brewery and our meadery is really hard. We do dabble in about a little bit of everything. Um, and so finding that common ground on all of our products is has been a little hard for sure. Um, but trying to stay true to like the name of the funky turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our products are going to be funky. Um, if it's not, you know, from the actual sour, funky flavor that you get, um, it's in our label art and or something along those lines to try to actually wrap the whole brand into a single product or a single mm-hmm. product line. Um, it can be difficult, and we do uh, we do try hard to keep a consistency on that. Um, starting out again, being really small, it's easy to uh, I don't know, go away from say a mission statement or like a product line or something because of an opportunity or what have you. Um, but I feel like we've done a pretty good, uh, or a pretty good job on actually trying to stay true to that, you know, fruit forward, um, product lines, um, that or barrel age to a certain, uh, like flavor profile that we want that you would kind of consider a Funky Turtle product. Mm. Where's the name Funky Turtle come from? Great question. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so me and Drake, when we were thinking about opening a brewery, uh, we we decided from the beginning that we wanted to open a brewery up in Slade, Kentucky. And no one knows Slade, Kentucky, unless you're a rock climber, probably. Um, and so it was a dry county for, you know, 100 years. And just recently, I think three years ago or two years ago, they... Uh, they, they passed the law that you could, uh, it's a wet county now, and so you could uh, operate and manufacture alcohol um, in that county. And so that's what we want to do. Um, Sheltoe is a uh, is a trail in the Red River Gorge that Daniel Boone uh, developed, which is pretty cool. And Sheltoe uh, means big turtle. And so when we were writing the business plan, for the brewery down in Kentucky, we decided to name the brewery Big Turtle Brewing Company. Um, when we decided to actually stay in the Toledo and open the brewery up in this market, uh, we were thinking about, you know, like, it doesn't really make sense to go with the Big Turtle Brewing Company anymore. Um, and But then we noticed that there's a lot of frogs around here for some weird reason. <laughs> like, everyone just identifies as frogs or, like, with frogs in Toledo, and I get it, that's cool. I like frogs. Um, and so, like, but, like, with a town full of frogs, you need a couple of funky turtles, I think, you know, just to even out the pond. Um, and that's kind of where we, we stepped in, I guess, yeah. So, there a, couple you go. Of, a couple of turtles to hang out with frogs, and we like them. Even out the pond, I really like that. <laughs> I really like that, yeah. Yeah, I work in brand uh, consistently with any startups that come through Windhouse Software. And finding consistency, it, it's really nice starting with uh, starting the whole product in one space because you kind of understand everything that that brand is going to offer, so you can kind of wrap it all up into one. But I found with Windhouse Software working on the, that brand, it, it does get a little difficult to manage all of the different offerings that you can provide and wrap them under the same package, keep the same brand voice across it, make sure that our graphics are communicating the same things across the board. And it does get difficult to try and package everything into one solid brand. But when you can do it, when you do it successfully and you're consistently communicating, I think it's a lot easier to build a connection with consumers when they're trying each one of your beers and they're like, 
yes, I understand whether they're saying this actually or not, or if it's just working in their subconscious. I understand that when I'm going to buy a new product from Funky Turtle, that it is going to have that sour, fruit-forward taste to it. Yeah. And establishing that really builds a connection with consumers. And I think you guys are doing a great job. I've tried two now of your products. I need to try more now, obviously, yeah, we'll, to get the we'll, full. We'll get there we go. <laughs> there we go. Um, but from everything I've tried, I think you guys have been doing a really good job. I would also like to check out some of your cans slash bottle. Yeah, man, definitely. Yeah, we can, uh, we can talk after you listen to it. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> what would you say is the worst part about uh, operating a brewing company? Another good question. Um, ego. Okay. <laughs> ego is very hard. Like, yo, their shit's yeah, fire, man. Like, you know, it's just, it's just so hard. Just getting gas. No, out. I mean, it's, you know, it could be that or it could be the, the, the other end of the spectrum um, where, you know, someone doesn't like the product. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I'm just like trying not to get your ego wrapped up into having a successful business and just to produce a quality product to our consumers. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Okay. You know, it's not um, just for us. We don't see it as for us at all. Um, it is all for our consumers and our customer base. Okay. And so trying not to get your feelings, I guess, wrapped up in a negative comment or 20 positive comments and not letting that one negative comment change anything that what you're doing or, uh, you know, I mean, just from their taste, you know, if it's something with business, completely different. But, um, I would say, yeah is not trying to get your ego wrapped into it and right. you know just to try to stay true and try to do the best that you can for your community um even if it's you know again kind of silly to say that with alcohol um but they're you know you know especially with the times that we're dealing with now some some people are, are uh it's not a way to cope i wouldn't say but like a, it's a way to uh unwind a little bit um and so yeah yeah I, you're speaking ego. to me you're speaking to me like a creative would speak to me, but it's about brewing. You've kind of changed my perspective on brewing a little bit now because you're talking about like every time I design something, it's kind of my child, yeah. you know, but, and it's hard to disconnect the fact that that is something that I've created and is now separate from me. Yeah. So when you get negative feedback on it, sometimes you're like, oh, man, and trying to disconnect your ego from something that you've created is very, very difficult. But when you can do that, it allows you, it allows you to, to get a better perspective on it. And that means that you can continue to make your your product better at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I bet you if you talk to any of our, the, or the, the other partners, they would have a different uh, answer for you on that. Um, but mine is definitely the ego. Uh, that's the hardest thing for me is again, just not to get wrapped up into my own thoughts and feelings. And again, just try to make the best product that we can for our community. So how do you compart compartmentalize that when you get like a lot of like I would, what I would say is like positive reinforcement of oh like this out of the flavor profile of the plum and blackberry works really well together so like do you still take it like the feedback objectively and try to like work it into future products or I, I feel like it's like a fine line is it, it is not? a fine line yeah. you know honestly I think it depends on who it comes from okay. most of the time um, yeah the, you know because there are like applications that you can see feedback on mm. And then, you know, if you deep dive into said profile of the person that was <laughs> ripping on you, yeah. um, and, you know, they've only tried 100 beers, and one of the style that you actually had 
Um, it's hard to take that feedback um, and take it um, and actually roll with their feedback. But people in our industry, 100%. Okay. Yeah, or just people that have good palates too. I'm not trying <laughs> to knock on anyone that hates on us on untapped, go for it. Um, and we get that, uh, like do you, I'm gonna look at it. Um, and I will, and I might take your feedback if if I feel like it, if it's gonna be beneficial for, for mm-hmm. everyone and not just for that one person. Um, yeah. Well said, yeah, for sure. Um, another thing that, you know, we, we've been talking with uh, bar owners, restaurant owners that have been in the industry, you know, upwards of like 30 years potentially. My question to you is, since you've, you know, you've been around for a relatively short time, social media presence, how important is that in this industry? Oh, it's huge. Mm-hmm. It is ginormous uh, part of our uh, day-to-day. Okay. Um, anywhere from just uh, Facebook posts and Instagram posts daily um, to having our website being interactive, uh, everything to deal with... Uh, just social media in general is fifty percent of our of our, our of our company. Hundred percent. Um, trying to get our name out. We are again starting really small and not with a tap room. It's hard for people to find you, um, and so just reaching out um, on a on the internet uh, has been just huge for us. Okay. And so it's a big, big, big part of our business. Okay. So you might know this from secondhand knowledge or a hypothetical. It could be is if you were starting in, say, the late 90s, before social media blew up, how do you think that you would grow your business to be, like, a brand-recognized name? That's a great question. Um, I feel like, for me, um, I would make a product that everyone wants to drink. And so, say, if it was in the early 90s, it'd probably be a lager. Okay. Um, Something that's easy to drink that has not much flavor, um, or at least not a lot of hops in it. Um, and I would, I'd make masses of it, um, to be able to, uh, get my name out by word of mouth and just seeing the product everywhere, um, on shelves. Um, so you're saying try to keep a, a product that is more, uh, universal and it's not, you know, hoppy. It's not very like specific in one place. Yeah, it's not barrel aged for six months. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> you know, so like, uh, that's how I would, yeah, definitely. Or, or, or that's how I would have t- took it, um, said in the early nineties. Okay. Yeah. I've always wondered that, so yeah, I'm just kind of just wondering, because we've been fortunate to pretty much grow up, you know, where right. you have everything in the palm of your hand, you know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They so. have the, any kind of wealth and knowledge you ever want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to think also about the fact that you have an opportunity to be more creative because now there are a lot of outlets for you to let people know about your product. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, that can connect thousands and thousands of people with one click. It's an amazing thing. So what's your next adventure or what is something that you're looking forward to trying next in a product? Um, if you don't mind, give us a no, little uh, I mean, definitely. So more seasonal varieties, okay. um, seasonal fruits. Uh, trying to push the uh, the yeast that we use in-house here um, to create more of a, uh, or just like a, a higher alcohol product. Um, I'm very interested to see the breweries that are making 22% products uh, with very similar yeast than that we use. Um, 
So something like that, and then along that again, uh, variety. Um, so we this fall we have a carrot cake, sweet potato mead coming up, and so using I don't know just a little bit different ingredients uh, than what your normal consumer sees on the shelf every day. Something like that. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. What was the inspiration for that? <laughs> no idea, man. Carrot cake. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, so we were tasting barrels. Um, so these, this is a mead that came out of uh, old whiskey barrels. Okay. And when we were tasting it, we, uh, uh, me and Drake, we kind of just stumbled upon weird flavor combinations. Because at first we were like, yeah, strawberries and peaches, or like something uh, that you see all the time. And, uh, one of the barrels kind of tasted like cinnamon and while we were like, oh wow, like cinnamon and uh, sweet potato would be really interesting, mm-hmm. right? Like, can we see if we can source sweet potato? Okay. Um, and then we were like, we can. And then, <laughs> and then we were sitting there and like, oh, then we were looking through other uh, distributors and we're like, okay, we can get carrot cake, a bunch of it. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it's going to be carrot cake, sweet potato. <laughs> and so it kind of like, it ends up like that. A lot of the products to start with too, when we just started the business uh it'd just be late nights here with me and drake uh after a few uh beverages and uh just thinking of strange things to put in the products and that's how these are born i guess you know so very simple you know we don't have like a team of a bunch of engineers that are i'm just like imagining like beakers all around them (laughs) just like strawberry you know Extracting the flavors specifically <laughs> yeah, from yeah. the strawberry. Yeah, now let's just plum. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, let's just throw some sweet potato and carrot cake in there and see what happens. Yeah, so we are definitely like a bootstrap brewery for okay. sure. You know, awesome. so we kind of just roll with it, and it's worked out so far for us. Absolutely, I'm definitely gonna have to try that out. That definitely sounds like one of the more interesting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, like that. The product that you, you're tasting now. Uh, uh, is a orange cream sickle mead um, that's using like four or five different strains of yeast, and so it's super complex. But you kind of get like that home style, right off the ice cream truck uh, cream sickle. I mean, you've great. you've nailed the cream sickle. It's really hard to see like the full flavor of a cream sickle come through. Like you have the cream on the the back end, which is like I don't even know. I have no idea how you did that. And it really hit me, like, right at the citrus or the orange, like, right off the bat. It really hit me with some, some really solid flavor. Mm-hmm. I'm really impressed with this. Thanks, this man. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, that was actually just an experiment um, because I had a 55 gallons of a product left over, and I threw it into a barrel, and I was like, man, I really want to make an orange cream product. And so mm-hmm. I just, like, tested out um, some ingredients to try to to try to make this, and I ended up... Uh, adding more yeast to it. So I used a bunch of uh, Britannomyces is what it's called. It's a, people uh, will know farmhouse ales. Usually we'll have some type of Britannomyces um, or lactobacillus or some kind of lacto-producing bacteria. Um, and so I added a, a few different ones of that to try to round out the characteristic. Uh, and that's why it comes off a little bit drier than most of our products. Um, because I let the yeast just consume as much sugar as they can. So this is actually a pretty old product too, probably sitting at six months right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, the flavor uh, profile has developed really, really nicely. If you're getting into you know seasonal beers, or you highlight you know Oktoberfest, or you have like a Valentine Valentine's Day wine. Jesus, can't talk. Um, 
does that just mean you need to have more space for more products or does that mean you have to have a quicker um, shelf life for products and just reuse some of your equipment that you already have? Like what is what would be the process for expanding it, but only for like seasonal drinks? Um, so we basically try to have a base uh, product before we do anything after the primary fermentation. Mm. And so if that comes from a beer, we're fermenting all the beer before it goes into barrels um, all at once instead of doing like one batch at a time. Um, so you could see a strawberry mead and a blueberry mead that we make that all came from the same like parent. Okay. And so we split off from those big batches to make smaller batches. Um, and we do that just for consistency yeah. okay. um, because we know what the, uh, the fruit is going to you know, have an effect onto the product. And if we can have the product consistent every single time, the product thereon after will be, you know, be very similar. So, um, not too much. Um, yeah, maybe a couple more tanks. Um, we did just upgrade more bright tanks to be able to carbonate more product at once. Um, and so that's a big game changer for us as well. Very cool. Yeah. And uh, what would you say, you know, just getting a little off topic here, fun questions. You obviously have done rock climbing. What is the most thrill-seeking thing you've ever done? Mm, that's a great question. I keep saying that because these are all great questions. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate that, you know. Try, try to come up with you know, good questions that people like listen to. Dude, it has to be rock climbing for sure because I don't really think I'm going to die most of my, like, existence in the normal world. Like, maybe driving every once in a while, I'm like, wow, I'm going 70 miles an hour on the highway. What if someone hits me? I do drive a huge truck, so I'm kind of like, that'd be bad for them. Yeah. Um, it's like, <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to spin around. Um, you definitely rock climbing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I thought I was going to die rock climbing multiple times. So what style of rock climbing do you do the most? One, and then two, what's the best climbing you've ever done? Where's that at? Okay. Um, the type of climbing, I, so I started off doing a lot of sport climbing. Um, so you're clipping into protection on the rock that's already been placed for you. Um, and I did that for a few years and then got immediately into like alpine climbing, traditional climbing, where you're placing your own uh, protection and then the person behind you grabs your protection, uh, protection back out. So... It's low impact on the rock, um, and it's a little bit more freeing. Um, so traditional climbing uh, was definitely the the style that I gravitated towards. I don't rock climb much anymore because I live in Toledo, Ohio, and yeah. I work a bunch of jobs, and I'm just trying to, you know, stay positive and keep everything going here. Um, but my favorite place I've ever rock climbed um, is probably outside of. Telluride, Colorado. Um, I've rock climbed in like Rocky Mountain National Park and Red Rocks Canyon and places in Wyoming and California. Um, but this place is special just for how remote it is. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful landscape where you can climb fourth class to, to fifth class climbing um, for 2,000 feet at 10,000 uh, you know, 10,000 feet of elevation or 9,000 feet of elevation. Um, yeah, anything out there. I really also love, I'm going to bring up Colorado again, um, is the flat iron. And so when me and Drake lived in Boulder together, when he was working at Avery, um, 
I live right next to the Flatirons, and so I would always go up and do a quick uh, solo of the second Flatiron or the first, mm-hmm. like after work and stuff. Um, yeah, any of that more adventure, like adventurous climbing that takes you out of uh, more populated areas, um, kind of just. How dangerous is that? Like rock climbing, just like a solo ride. Um, you know, it's probably not like I brought up the car thing. It's probably not as dangerous as. Uh, as driving a car, uh, the equipment's really good. The okay. engineering behind the equipment is really good. If you know what you're doing and you seek out the proper uh, education, you're going to be fine most of the time. Um, but accidents do happen. Um, like I lost a friend of mine this year from a rock climbing accident in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it is definitely dangerous. Um, but, you know, doing necessary uh checks for of equipment things like that can you know drop down your risk uh severely like i rock climbed for eight years ten years almost a decade um and had a wrist injury and a finger and injury you know um where um you know again people people die from uh driving the car a lot more than having fun out you know pulling down hard on rocks and trying to get up I, you know, so, but definitely dangerous for sure in some aspects. So. That's just crazy. I'm not really like a thrill seeker or an outdoorsman, like in any regard. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's very cool. It, what other like extreme sports do people like to do um, out in Colorado? Oh man, dude, I think paragliding is like the craziest <laughs> thing in the world. Uh, it is nuts. Like, that just blows my mind. Um, you know, just being like that little kid. Too, being like trying to jump off on like a staircase and flap your arms really hard like <laughs> that doesn't work uh, <laughs> no and they do that off mountains and yeah. that is ridiculous to me also like a uh, high slack lining Oof. blows my mind Oof. like uh so like i used to slack line and i used to slack line on like a two inch yeah. uh slack line where people they're using like three quarter inch oh to an gosh. inch and i'm like i have huge feet i'm a bigger guy too and so, like, that scares me so much, being up that, you know, they do yeah. have protection to, like, keep themselves safe, but still, that uh, exposure would get into my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, I already spend way much, like, too much time in my mind as it is, <laughs> so, like, I would have a panic attack, probably. Like, I, there's so much fun going on up there. I've seen people walk across, I think it's in, um, not Yellowstone, what am I trying to think of? The uh, the walk freaking Alex Honnold free solo. Oh yeah, and Yosemite. Yosemite, Yosemite. Yeah, yeah sure. that's it. Yeah, I've seen people slack climb across like yeah. hundreds of feet of just like open space to like a thousand foot fall, and I'm just like, no, you know, I, I think I'm gonna leave that to them. But I haven't ventured into rock climbing, and something about seeing people on a slack climb with no protection just does not feel right to me. Yeah, man. <laughs> something, there, just something in my head is just like, I don't know about yeah. that. Like, I, I get it to an extent, but wow. Yeah, yeah I get that too. Like, uh, they're just like free soloing in general with rock climbing oh. um, is terrifying. Yeah. Um, and now with me being like a little bit detached from rock climbing, um, it's it scares me more. Because I used to, I guess, like free solo once or twice a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would never think about that. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to just go rock climbing by myself and I'm going to be back later. You know, like right. it's super simple. Now, like when I watch 
um, you know, Alex Honnold, like you were saying, like my hands are sweating and I'm just like sitting there, I'm like talking to myself, saying like, don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> um, oh, like yeah. seeing, yeah, seeing crazy. I mean, Alex Honnold, obviously, you know, one of the masters of the craft, Yeah. But even just the idea of like a hand slipping and, and keeping composure is, I can't even imagine. Yeah. I, you know, I'm an outdoorsman, uh, don't have too much rock climbing experience, but there have been times where I'll go out on my own and, you know, sometimes I look back and I'm like, you know, Maybe I should have thought this through a little more. I went, yeah. I hammocked in uh, out out west, and uh, I was driving up Pacific One, and uh, I woke up the next morning and I spotted a mountain lion that had been watching where I was at, and I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done that by myself, you know. Yeah. So you know, yeah. there's definitely times for you. You know, once you're a little bit more removed from it, you can kind of look back and say, oh, maybe I should have planned that out a little bit more. Yeah, or, definitely. You know, and I think that kind of can tie into your everyday life, you know, we're sitting down talking about the brewery and the way that you just described that, uh, like I've done that in business a hundred mm-hmm. times, kind of stepping back and just like, Oh my gosh, I was so scary. Why did I do that? <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of like that type, type two type of fun, you know, it's like type one is just like, it's fun. And type two is like, it's not fun until you're done. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I think that kind of like goes around my whole life too, you know. That's yeah. pretty sweet. I mean, like looking back, even at that that hammocking outside and knowing the mountain lion was there. Like looking back, like in the moment, that was more scary. But now I'm like, man, that was fun. I had a blast. I, there's something about being outside and just like in silence, other than what's around you, and just like enjoying nature that I love. Yeah. And I like love that experience. But also at the same time, it's like there's like there's no regrets. I'm still here, but at the same mm-hmm. time, I'm like, man, I could have done that better. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know? Yeah, but that's what made that's part of what made it fun. Right. Yeah. If you ever think time's moving too fast, go go sit out in in the wilderness. You know, mm-hmm. go sit up in a tree stand and go deer hunting or whatever you, whatever your vice is uh, yeah. to go do, and it will not seem like it's going fast. No, it yeah, will not. Time will uh, slow down for you, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really can give you a, a lot of clarity. Yeah, a lot of clarity. Yeah. Are right, y'all talking to somebody that has like never stepped inside of a forest here? Not yet, man. Not yet. Not, not like now we're friends. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're gonna so we're gonna, go, we're gonna do something. Yeah. Slack so, yeah, we'll go just <laughs> we'll, we'll just go walk around or whatever, man. We'll get you out into a forest and have some have some fun. Oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> um, what would you say is your hangover recipe? Food. 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 Greasy food. food. What? Greasy food like a burger? Like what? But anything. Okay. Like I'm I'm true. True, like uh, I don't know, like a four-year-old man. I like I like four-year-old food. You know, like I'm like I like cheeseburgers, grilled cheeses, things like that. Um, anything like that, yeah. And water, a bunch of water, yeah. uh, pounding water before you know you're going to bed, and then right when you wake up. The older I get, the worse the hangovers are. So I do, I never try to get myself in that situation anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes business comes up. You got to make those relationships. You got to pay yeah, for it the next day. Yeah, you a little bit too much, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, I'm down for the count for at least a couple of days now. Like once I'm hungry. Yeah. Multiple days. Yeah. It's gotten to that stage. Yeah, definitely. Oh, so like I. Uh, yeah, I just never get myself in those situations anymore because I know what's gonna happen and I don't like it. Yeah. So yeah. Nothing in it, nothing makes you feel a little like hangover that lasts more yeah. than a day. <laughs> yeah, and I don't really like pop, but like a sprite when you're hungover mm-hmm. is like super good to me for some weird reason. Not sure. But I drink sprite. Okay. I usually go with like a Red Bull. 
The Red Bull's yeah. got like the light carbonation and sweet, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, and you got all that caffeine. Exactly, yeah, yeah, so it boosts you up a little bit. That's usually my go to, yeah. yeah. I like that. Alright, well, I mean, I'm out of questions, Joe. I don't know if you got any more, man. No, I think I'm good too. Man, thank you so much for being on the show, Tom. Yeah. Absolute pleasure, and all the products we tried today, phenomenal. Make sure to check out Funky Turtle Brewing, and uh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. All right, After Hours Nation, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to stay updated, you can check out our site at afterhourscast.com. Don't forget to tune in next Tuesday morning for our next episode. After Hours Nation, stay thirsty, my friends.